When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite team. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Oil Kings and Rebels just underway at Rogers Place. Rebels off to a great start, 15-3-1. Oil Kings early in this rebuilding process, just uh, two wins in their first 19 games. They're going to try to upset the Rebels tonight in the National Hockey League. It is 2-1. Panthers leading the Capitals. That's about four minutes into the third period. Also early in the third, Canucks up 5-3 on the Sabres. The Maple Leafs lead the Penguins 4-2. Devils up 3-1 on Montreal. What a story the Devils are. Start of the third, Stars and Lightning in a 3-3 tie. Late second period, Flyers and Blue Jackets are 2-2. After the first, Nita Ryder and Duchesne have goals for the Predators, who are up 2-0 on the Wild. Later, Red Wings at Ducks, Sharks at Golden Knights. Tomorrow at Rogers Place, it is the Edmonton Oilers hosting the Los Angeles Kings. First meeting since they went toe-to-toe in the playoffs last spring, and I am pleased to Welcome back to Inside Sports, LA Kings analyst and, of course, a former player with the team. Daryl Evans is checking in. Daryl, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, Reed. How are you doing today? Well, I'm always in a good mood when I get to talk to you. Uh, we saw you a lot during the playoffs last year, so glad we're able to connect here for the uh, for the first meeting of the season. Daryl, I'm gonna I'm gonna start in a bit of an unusual spot. Um, the Oilers are wearing these reverse retro jerseys tomorrow. So I put it out to my listeners. Don't tell me about a jersey that you like. Tell me about the ugliest hockey jersey of all time. I've gotten a few suggestions, people even sending in pictures. And I was a little bit surprised. A few people have nominated the uh, Los Angeles Kings purple and gold jersey that you would have worn in the 1980s because I've always kind of liked that jersey. So I've been a little surprised that so many people are saying, no, I didn't really like that one. You know, I think sometimes, you know, it might have to do with the playoff series last year and you know, and things like that. You know, you start to build a little bit of rivalry up and, you know, people don't like uh, the people that they rival against. So, uh, you know, when you get a chance to kind of give them a little shot, maybe that's what they're doing. But uh, for the most part, I think, you know, the old purple and gold, because it's such a distinct and different uniform from the other teams in the league, for the most part, it's, it's quite well received. Well, yeah, and that and that's I, like I that's the one that I remember from being relatively young walking, watching hockey that time because you guys somewhat unique. It does happen in hockey and in some sports occasions, but you guys actually wore the the gold, the yellow jerseys at home, and the purple like, didn't have the traditional white jersey. The 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 yellow was your lighter colored jersey that you wore at home. Correct. Yep. Yep. And was it yep. just and as then, simple uh, as the, this is just as simple that they wanted you to look like the Lakers? <laughs> 
Well, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you know, Jerry Buss was the owner, so you know, it, it was pretty much that. I mean, we we took on you know pretty much everything as the Lakers, uh, you know, with the color, you know, schematics and things like that, and. Um, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were, we were definitely affiliated with them and with regards to ownership and, you know, and the colors and things like that playing in the same building. And, you know, the, uh, you know, at that time, you know, they were creating all kinds of history with the dynasties that they built, the teams they put on the court. And we, we yet to win a, you know, a championship at that point in the purple and gold. So, uh, you know, we definitely, uh, we, we were definitely following suit with them, uh, you know, whatever colors and things that they were going to go with, uh, it, there's no doubt that the Kings are going to follow up and wear the same thing for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, just because uh, I always liked that jersey. So interesting. I, I guess it just how uh, people have different opinions when it comes to fashion. So there you go. Uh, pretty good start here for the Kings. I, I know uh, maybe not a great night uh, last night, but uh, overall, this seems like a pretty good uh, opening a few weeks to the season here for the Kings. Yeah, you know, considering they played a lot of games on the road, um, you know, this is a, their third actual extended trip. They've already had a four, uh, five-game trip, a three-game trip, and then this is going to be a four-game trip. So three, uh, you know, relatively, you know, long trips uh, in the first month of the season. I think at the end of the day, you know, the record where they're at is probably, you know, pretty good reflection as to, you know, who they are right now, still looking to find themselves, re-identify themselves and, you know, reestablish what they created last year towards the end of the year. You know, it's a little bit different this year, unlike last year. I think last year they flew under the radar. This year when they play against, uh, you know, any team in the league, you know, they don't they don't sneak up on teams. Uh, they're expected uh, to come out and perform hard. And, and uh, on pretty much every given night, that, you know, they do that. You know, whether they win or not, that, that's a different story. But they're a competitive hockey club. They've added a little bit of offense, a little bit of speed to their game. And now it's uh, just a matter of, you know, tightening up the defensive part of the game. And that's one of the things that got away in the game last night in Calgary was, uh, you know, the defensive part of the game because they're still able to put up five goals. And usually, you know, an L.A. King team over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, you put up five goals, you're going to win a good share of those games. So a few adjustments to be made, need to be made collectively as a group defensively. And I think after that, they'll uh, they'll settle in and, uh, you know, continue to uh, improve as a hockey club and, you know, work the way to get them back in the postseason come the spring. All right. Well, and then the leading scorer, he's got a point a game. And, uh, I mean, you talk about the, the, the pace of the game and guys who can really move. Kevin Fiala is, is off to a pretty hot start to the year. Yeah, he really is. You know, he brings an element that the Kings, you know, I don't think that they had uh, any, you know, anything uh, exactly like him. You know, he's a strong player. He's got great vision on the ice. You know, we've called games, you know, when the Kings have played against him. You, great, you, you uh, gain a greater respect for a guy when you see him on a day-to-day basis and you see all the little things. And I think more recently over the last few games, uh, last handful or six games, that uh, he's really bought into, you know, playing a complete 200-foot game. His ability to be able to track on the back check, strip guys of pucks, get underneath guys. Uh, you know, I think he's really understanding on how hard that this team plays and, you know, the commitment that each player makes. So, you know, when he's playing a complete 200-foot game, he's, he's a real asset to the hockey club. He's got goals in three straight games. And as you mentioned, he's leading the team in scoring right now in, uh, in points. And he comes, uh, you know, as advertised. Uh, you know, he's delivered exactly what you expect to get from him. And he's made the team a, a better team in, uh, in so many different facets, even though it hasn't statistically shown up yet. 
the team is a better team with him with him in the roster. I'm also curious about Gabriel Velarde, who is you know relatively young, 23, uh, has a few NHL games under his belt before this season. But he's I mean he's got 10 goals in 18 games. I know his shooting percent I think is well over 20, so that'll probably come down a little bit. But uh, it's got to be encouraging to see one of the younger players doing a lot offensively. It is, and I, you know I think it goes to show you that. You know, you have to be patient, you know, whether you're the Kings or any team in the National Hockey League. A lot of these guys are being drafted, you know, at 18 years of age, and it takes them a little bit of, a little bit of time to, you know, to get going. Lardy, in the early part of his uh, career, uh, he had some, you know, injury issues that he had to overcome, and he's starting to find his own. Uh, a great example of it was last year when Adrian Kempe kind of broke out and, you know, ended up putting a career-high 35 goals up. That's not to say that Lardy's going to put up 35, but he's playing a more relaxed game now. He's very confident. And I think when the Kings and in, uh, in, in the upper management made a decision last year to take him from the middle of the ice and put him on the wing, I think that's allowed him to be able to use his greatest assets, and that's you know handling on the puck. He doesn't have to quite skate as much as he would in the middle of the ice coming back as a centerman and support the defense. As a winger, you play a little bit higher in the defensive zone, so he's got a little bit more left in the tank when he goes on the attack, and he's a big, strong guy with great vision. He's got extremely soft hands, and quick release on a shot so uh it's great to see him get off to a good start and you know for the first time as a you know as a professional playing in the nhl he really looks like he's having fun playing the game yeah goaltending and I, you and i talked uh, i think we've talked about this uh, several times over the last couple of years because uh you know cal peterson has played quite a bit uh, around as much as Jonathan Quick over the last couple of seasons there's always been those kind of uh changing of the guard discussions it doesn't appear to be happening uh, this year, I don't think, because I believe uh, Quick has played quite a bit more than uh, than Peterson so far. Yeah, Jonathan Quick has had the upper hand in the goal, and uh, he's earned that right to you know to play play more. Uh, and I remember going back into the even into the off season, going back into June, and remember seeing Jonathan Quick on the ice, and you know it kind of approached him and. You know, I said, gee, I said, you know, this is a little bit early. He goes, ah, he says, you know, I'm getting older. He says, you know, he says, you got to try to keep up with, you know, with the game and the kids. And, and to his credit, uh, you know, he, he loves playing. He, he's a big kid at heart, uh, but he's a competitive one. And I think last year, you know, going down the stretch when he kind of took over that number one position and established himself that this is my net and, you know, you're, you're going to have to take it away from me. The success that the team had going into the playoffs, I know they got beat, you know, against the Oilers in the first round, but, you know, what a finish to the season he put up. And this is the last year of a 10-year contract for him. He's looking to get an extension, I'm sure. And I think he also, you know, recognizes that this team is competitive, uh, you know, and hoping to get back into the postseason play. It's not going to be easy, but, you know, another opportunity to, you know, to possibly, you know, become a champion again. And I think that's something that, you know, he's got on his radar and he's going to do everything that he possibly can. You know, over all the years that I've called the game, he's one of the most competitive guys that, that I see on the ice. And if he was a guy that wasn't a goaltender and playing in a position, I'm sure he'd be a guy that'd be wearing either an A or C on, a, on his respective team because he's got that presence and that leadership ability. Yeah, for sure. The, you mentioned the playoff series last year. And did the Kings, obviously disappointed, you want to go as far as you can and win it all when you're in the playoffs, did the did the Kings do anything particularly, whether it was personnel or philosophy, like specifically in reaction to that series? You know what I mean. Sometimes a team will lose and they'll say, "Okay, that's, you know, that's why we lost. That was that was the gap." Was there anything like that or that Oilers series, or was it more just sort of a an off season of tinkering and the necessary changes? 
Well, I think, you know, you, you take a look at that series, and there was a lot learned in that series. Uh, you know, the Kings had, you know, a greater uh, understanding as to, you know, where they were in with regards to depth, potentially, you know, moving forward, which players could play it. But I think the immediate reaction was, they were looking for a difference maker, and that's when they went out and acquired Kevin Fiala right at the beginning of the off season. That, that that went to show that all right, this is management making a commitment to the team that you know you guys worked this hard to get this far. We're going to help you get to the next step, and they bring in a difference maker. So I would have to say that bringing in uh, you know Fiala was definitely a step in that direction. That. Uh, you know that uh, that was one of the major major things that happened, and then you know having Deneau and Arvison come last year, and and Alexander Edler, and then you know coming into this season, you know getting Drew Bedowdy back in the lineup. Uh, Arvidsson didn't play in the series against the Kings, so uh, you know Sean Walker. So you know bringing those guys back into the mix uh, was you know was just as important as as acquiring a guy like a Kevin Fiala. But those were the significant moves that were made in order to, you know, to try to find the next level with the existing core that they have in place right now. Yeah, okay. Well, it's going to be fun tomorrow night, Darrell. I appreciate you checking in. I always enjoy your perspective on the uh, – on the. Are, are you guys traveling? Are you in town, or are you calling the games from home? No, nope, we've been traveling, uh, and it's great to be back in the circuit again, you know, going to the arenas and being able to walk in the locker rooms and talk to the players. Uh, you know, there's nothing like it. Uh, you know, the, the, the hockey players are great athletes and great players to talk to. And, you know, and then even more so, like, getting to see the people in the buildings, whether it's, you know, uh, our counterparts in, in broadcasting or even the people that, you know, you've been seeing in the rink each and every time when you come to visit the buildings. It's, it's just great to be in the circuit. And, uh, you know, it's great to see hockey, uh, you know, thriving again. And, you know, people getting a, ch- a chance to see, uh, you know, the greatest game in the world, uh, you know, live and in person, uh, you know, and happen- not having to watch it when it was in the bubble and that. But things are moving in the right direction. Direction, uh, clear across the globe again, seeing the teams go back over to Europe and play, and uh, hockey's in a good spot again, so it's, it's good to see. Right on. Hey, Daryl, always a pleasure. I'll probably see you at the morning skate. Thank you so much, as always, for your time. I look forward to it. Have a great night, and keep up the great work. Right on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. King and now a color analyst on the Kings Audio Network. So getting you uh, prepared for the opponents tomorrow night at Rogers Place. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. Four-time Grey Cup champion Ricky Ray will join the show between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Looking forward to catching up with him. I always check on the good old Oilers Community Foundation 50-50 a couple times a day to see how high that jackpot is going. It is at $668,000. It's the multi-day mega 50-50. It goes until November 19th. You can get your tickets uh, now. There are several early bird draws tomorrow, including a couple game tickets. 
uh, for a game against the Ducks at noon. Uh, cash prizes are going to be drawn for at 8 and 9 p.m. A few other early bird draws as well. So uh, I know you know about the 50-50 and how many great organizations it helps, including the uh, Terry Fox Foundation, which is uh, partnering up with the Oilers Community Foundation for some of this 50-50. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Jim Woodget. He's the president and scientific director, Terry Fox Foundation Research Institute. Jim, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hi, Reed. I'm good. Thank you very much for making time for the show. Uh, the Terry Fox Foundation Research Institute. Can you just kind of tell us what uh, what you guys do? So we, we support uh, cancer research across the country, actually from Vancouver through to the, the Maritimes, including, of course, um, cancer researchers in Edmonton and, and Alberta, uh, and, and, uh, and Calgary and Alberta. And what we, we tend to do is we fund uh, teams of researchers who get together and they have bigger impact. Uh, there's tons and tons of research to do in cancer. Uh, we find that if we can bring to, together the best minds, uh, they have the best ideas and they're making some really significant discoveries. And, you know, that sounds like... Um, now, the Terry Fox Foundation has been going, has been running since Terry uh, ended his marathon of hope in, in 1980. It's 40-odd years, 42 years. And uh, you might ask, you know, so 42 years later, what have we achieved? There's been lots and lots of advances, and, and Canada is playing a big role in that, thanks in part to uh, the researchers we're able to support. Yeah. Is there anything... Uh you know tangible or that would you know for for someone like me who doesn't study cancer for a living like any tangible sort of progress or things we could say you know if during the time since we've lost terry that are really big steps in your mind yeah, ben, yeah I, I think the biggest uh, of, of, of advance has been in what we call precision oncology. And, you know, if, if you've ever had uh, a family member or a loved one or a friend go through cancer, uh, typically they're given you know, some pretty uh, tough treatments, and chemotherapy, which causes hair loss and that sort of thing, and, and anemia. And these are, these are because what we're targeting there are, the, are the, the tumor cells which divide rapidly. But there are lots of other cells in our bodies which divide rapidly. And so there's a lot of toxic side effects. Over the past 15 or so years, and it's really taken off in the past five to 10 years, there's been these, these specific molecular targets which we're targeting in particular cancers. And it depends on the patient. Not everybody has the same mutations or the changes in their DNA, but those are the drivers of, 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 of their tumors. And so there are, are molecularly targeted drugs now, which are, I wouldn't say they're without side effects, but they're way, way less uh, than the, the typical chemotherapeutic uh, drugs. And that's, been, that's remarkable for, for patients suffering from this disease. Uh, this collection of diseases, I should say, um, it, it's, it really is a game changer in terms of uh, their ability to tolerate and also the efficacy, the effectiveness of these drugs. And there's probably about 40 or 50 of these which have been introduced in the last decade. Uh, so they're really having a, a significant effect. Unfortunately, that's probably only still 15 to 20 percent of, of cancers, and so we've got to we've got to expand that to uh, to a, a greater number of types of cancer, and then we also have to deal with uh, what what really is the, the the killer for cancer, which is metastasis, when a cancer spreads from the primary tumor, and some tumors start off that way; they're already metastatic, 
Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done, and that, I think that's still an area which we, we still need to do a lot of research in, is in, in trying to prevent these secondary cancers from occurring. There have been lots of successes. In, in childhood cancer, in leukemias, for example, it used to be that virtually all the kids, only 30, 40 years ago, would succumb to the disease. Now, greater than 85% will survive the disease. But then you've got to think about, well, some of the treatments these kids are developing, uh, you know, they're still developing, it's our very early days, some of the treatments uh, sort of come back and, and kick them later on in life. So we have to do better for them for that as well. Maybe we're over-treating the kids in some cases. But it's, it's like, um, you know, there's just, there's just so much to do. But there's, there are some really good and fantastic minds uh, in, in Alberta and in Canada and across the world which are trying to tackle this, this really tough disease. Yeah. Jim, thanks for sharing that. I, I can hear uh, your passion and what you do and how much you care. And, uh, again, the Oilers Community Foundation uh, partnering up here with the Terry Fox Foundation for the current 50-50. And, uh, Jim, I don't know what part of the country you're in, but in the, in the prairies, the 50-50s are, are very popular. So <laughs> it's, uh, you're going to be well supported here from uh, the Oilers and the Community Foundation. Right. Thanks to everybody for, for supporting this. It's, it's a disease that nobody wants to get, for, for, for sure. Thank you so much, Jim. That is Jim Woodget, President and Scientific Director, Terry Fox Foundation Research Institute, and again, uh, the Oilers Community Foundation 5050. It is uh, rolling along. Multi-day jackpot goes until November 19th. You don't have to wait until the game day to get your ticket. You can go there now and grab one. Jackpot is $668,000. Four Grey Cups. Ricky Ray coming up.